Welcome to the Living Jewishly Podcast. I'm Dr. Elliot Nahlman. I'm Rabbi Yossi Saperman. And I'm Rabbi Bluth. We talk about Judaism, and we talk about living, and we talk about everything in between. And what it means to be Jewish and human in today's world. Judaism is not nearly as boring as I thought it was. We're not selling you on Judaism. We're not selling you on living. We're just trying to get you inside of our brains, the way we think about stuff. And the way we feel about stuff. And we'll try to be as real as possible. By getting you into our Jewish brain, you'll argue a lot, you'll disagree, you'll love, you'll eat, you'll have a really good time, you'll learn a lot of things, and you know what? You might actually find that all those 3,000 years have been worth it. And maybe we'll even come out being better people for it. As we approach the holiday of Shavuot, a permanent question remains, how does a contemporary Jew hear the voice of Sinai today? There are, of course, religious Jews who are behaviorists who may have grown up and been trained to do a life of mitzvah, and that's a good thing. But many people who are immersed in modernity and have attached themselves to the things of this era find themselves questioning, how do I connect to a message that's from long ago and far away and may seem very removed from my present-day experience. So one of the things I want to talk about here is the fact that every human being really wants meaning. And I think that the Torah can fulfill some of those longings, regardless of your beliefs or your ideologies. A good example of this is the last of the Ten Commandments, don't covet in Hebrew, al-tachmod. In an age where so much of capitalism is driven by the need to make people feel that their identities are tied to what they look like, how much they have materially, don't covet, is a mitzvah of great power and relevance. And I just want to start out by what I just think is a remarkable citation by a banker named Paul Mazur, M-A-Z-U-R. He was a leading Wall Street banker working for Lehman Brothers. This is like a century ago. And in the Harvard Business Review of 1927, he writes the following, We must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old things have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality, and a person's desires have to overshadow their needs. So writes Paul Mazur, there's something incredibly insidious about that, because we're going to create wants that don't exist for you. We're going to make you feel a permanent sense of lack and so, of course, a lot of money is spent in modern society marketing stuff. And, you know, there's legit advertising, which is trying to tell you there's good stuff out there, and we're just going to let you know about it. But there's also actions which are kind of prodding you to buy things that you don't really need by preying on your insecurities, by telling you that you're just not good enough, right? There's an, a way of thinking that has shaped an endless cycle of desire and disappointment. People realize that coveting creates that mentality. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not rich enough. You're not sexy enough. You're just not enough. And as the Buddhist scholar Stephen Batchelor once wrote presciently, however hard we try, we'll never succeed in filling an inner, inner emptiness from the outside. You can only fill it from within because a lack of being remains unaffected by a plenitude of having. So what we're looking for is a way of distinguishing between what the Marxist Herbert Marcuse talked about, the difference between 
true and false needs, right? You have needs that are legitimate and you have false needs, which are really needs that are imposed upon you, says Marcuse, from the outside. Somebody out there has an interest in you having this need because then they're going to sell you something to fill that need. And so obviously one person's desire is probably another person's need. But this critique of Marcuse is actually mirrored by the American thinker Matthew Crawford in his book, The World Beyond Your Head. And Crawford alludes to this fact that how we look at stuff, our gaze, so to speak, is increasingly inclined towards what he calls a manufactured reality. And that reality, the content of the reality, he says, is determined from far away by private interests that have a material interest in doing so. In other words, there are companies out there who are waiting to see what you click on, what you look at, and the algorithms sort of eat it up like a vulture and spit out to them. This is what they're looking at. This is what they want, or this is what they might be enticed by. That's a better word for it. So let's make them covet. And so corporations make a great deal of money out of this by trying their very, very best to make us covet. An idea that's affirmed by the Jewish educator Jeremy Benstein, who writes the psychic state of continually wanting more, of perennial dissatisfaction with what we have, and therefore with who we are, is the driving force of consumer society. Consumptive culture cultivates covetousness, right? Pithy little alliteration there in four words, but it's true. Consumptive culture cultivates covetousness. You know, advertising essentially preys on dissatisfaction. They, they want you to be unhappy because if you're happy, meaning you're satisfied with what you have, you're not going to buy new stuff. There's a lovely Mishnah in Pirkevot, a rabbinic text from the third century, which says, Ezehu Ashir, who's the rich or wealthy person? And the answer is, or somebody who's happy with their portion in life. That's a happy person, Jewishly. So advertising works kind of at cross-purpose to that because covetousness is the attempt to tell you you're not actually happy with your portion. You want more. Now, what are the factors that induce this kind of coveting? Well, I've, I've named kind of corporations and advertising as one source for the desire. But we also live in an era of constant comparison. And when we realize that people may have stuff that we don't have, or we just fantasize that their lives are immeasurably better than ours, the feeling is not simply of covetousness, but you, you almost take a leap and say, things aren't fair. Like if that person has a Rolls Royce and I don't, life isn't fair, which is an astounding statement. But it's one that Joseph Epstein in his book Envy points out when he says that at some point a person may ask or kind of internally ask themselves the following question. Why does he have it and not I? Like, how come they have that stuff and I don't have that stuff? And that's the core of envy. Why should that person have a bigger house, a better job, a sweeter life than me? And the conclusion you draw is that they shouldn't. And if they do, they shouldn't have it. But if they do have it, that must mean that life isn't fair. Like, so covetousness actually morphs into a, a deeper problem, which is now you say to yourself, things in the world aren't as they should be. 
the world is not fair. So there's a kind of existential question that arises here. So there's this huge emotional toll we're all paying for coveting. And obviously, we live in an era of social media, which means that reality becomes refracted through images. We begin to experience the real through the image of the real. So we don't know people, but we know their Instagram accounts. We don't know what kind of stuff they're going through inside, but we know externally that they're smiling or pouting in the bathroom or taking a picture of themselves on some boat in the Mediterranean, which is like real life for like 99.9% .9 of the earth. And we think, oh, gosh, they have a better life than me. Right? So there's this idea that social media is creating loneliness. Ironically, right? You think you're connected by social media, and yet it's not connecting you. It's disconnecting you. There's a study that was done at the University of Pennsylvania about five years ago. And the lead researcher, a woman named Melissa Hunt, said, you know, the finding of the study was that there's a causal connection between the social media we use and feelings of depression and loneliness. I.e., the more you use it, the worse you feel. <laughs> and people who limited their social media use, who were part of the study and limited their social media use, reported diminishing sensations of loneliness after limiting their use, which I guess might sound counterintuitive. You'd be less lonely if you're connected to more people. But what, what Melissa Hunt said was that when you look at other people's lives, particularly on Instagram, it's easy to conclude that everyone else's life is cooler or better than yours. So in general, she says, put your phone down, be with the people in your life. And I think that's great advice, like be with the people in your life. So one of the things that we kind of learned from the Jewish perspective on coveting is that stop worrying about things that other people have and start worrying about the relationships that you do have. <clears throat> and so I think part of this is, as I said, the images of other people's seemingly better lives. Certainly when economically societies are more horizontal, what I mean by that is that everybody's kind of at the same economic level. There's a lot less covetousness because you're not sitting there and thinking my neighbor has more than I do. You know, you're, you're all in it basically in the same way. So from a Jewish point of view, what you need to do is appreciate what you already have and definitely focus less on the self and more on making the world a better place instead of thinking about how can I accumulate goods which will make my life better. Now the language, the original language of the Bible reflects obviously the culture of the Bible. It says, you know, you will not cover your neighbor's wife or, you know, your neighbor's partner, in other words, your neighbor's house or their field or their, their ox or their donkey. In other words, you know, the things that they have that help them to accumulate capital or anything that is your neighbor's. Why is this the last of the Ten Commandments? My feeling is it's actually a great summary of the previous because if you think about what the Ten Commandments is really gearing towards, it's really about going beyond yourself and wanting somebody else's life. Or it's breaking boundaries, not being able to live within your own boundaries, not being still and happy within what is yours. So if you look at the previous commandments of the Ten Commandments leading up to the last one, which is about coveting, don't kill, right? You take somebody else's life. 
don't commit adultery, take somebody else. You you cheat with somebody else's partner. Don't steal. Self-evident, you're taking somebody else's stuff. Ultimately, leading you to don't covet, which is this psychic notion of being able to stay within your life, being happy with what you have. And so this leads to, I think, not just personal issues like I'm not happy in my life, but on a global level, right? You have a lot of conflict between people who think that somebody else, some other country has what I should have. So obviously a lot of global conflict and war is based on various kinds of originating reasons, grounded perhaps in religion or in land, desire for dominance. But there's certainly an element in there of we want more territory and you've got territory, so we're going to take yours. We cover what you've got. The Talmud talks about this 3,000, 2,000 years ago and says that whoever sets their eyes on what is not theirs loses also what is theirs. That's a fantastic comment. I'm going to say it again. Whoever sets their eyes on what is not theirs loses also what is theirs. You end up not only not getting what isn't yours, but you end up forfeiting what is yours because you don't appreciate it, you neglect it. If you're with in a relationship with somebody and you covet somebody else's partner, then probably you're not going to you know, connect with that person and you're also going to lose the person you're with. So there's a sense of a kind of real disease going on here, a real problem ethically and emotionally in modernity of just this business of not being able to live my life. There's also a tie-in, I think, obviously, to celebrity culture here, this notion that we spend a lot of our time and energy investing in somebody else's life, which to me is just plain weird. Like There's enough in your own life, I think. So we want to be able to really focus on being content with where we're at. In the Matthew Crawford book I talked about earlier, he gives this fantastic example of capitalism at work in a person's ordinary daily life when he says that in South South Korea, right, sorry, in Seoul, South Korea, right, a smell resembling that of Dunkin' Donuts, the coffee, is released into the ventilation system of the bus that you're on as a kind of Dunkin' Donuts advertisement plays on the bus just before the bus stop outside the Dunkin' Donuts store. So talk about <laughs> kind of assault of all your senses, right? The, the bus has been paid by Dunkin' Donuts, so they've got the smell of the donuts, they've got the kind of the sound of the donuts, and they've got this stop of the donut store coming up. So you're sort of almost like a zombie lured into getting off the bus without even knowing what you're doing and going and buying donuts. And what this means is that there's no spaces left that aren't free from the inducement to covet. The way Crawford puts it is that there's this penetration, he calls it, of public spaces by attention-getting technologies. Right, so technology is grabbing at your attention wherever you are, and it's exploiting your responses. So you end up paying much more attention to the Dunkin' Donuts than you do to the person next to you, like having a conversation, just having a human relationship. And Crawford argues that it's directing us away from each other and towards this manufactured reality. So 
part of what coveting does is it just wrenches you out of relationality and out of just thinking about improving the self into diving into products without even knowing it. And that, that way, unhappiness lies. And Buddhism has known this for a long time, as well as Judaism. There's a, a book, again, from about 100 years ago by George Grimm, called The Doctrine of the Buddha. And he puts the equation really very simply. He says, happiness is a consequence of attunement between what a person wants and what they have. The greater the gap between those two things, the greater will be your suffering. Pretty basic equation. If the life you live and the life you fantasize about living have too great a gap, you are going to suffer. You're going to be extremely unhappy. And so when you talk about Jewish holidays and Jewish rituals, so Shavuot, with its emphasis on the Ten Commandments, is there to get you think about the life that you're living. So I just want to caution, it's not really about thinking about an event that took place on a mountain in the ancient Middle East thousands of years ago, because that kind of thing is probably hard to relate to. But it's about the moral and life messaging that came out of that experience that's really there for us to draw on and use in our lives and apply to our lives. So before I get off here, I just want to offer a few exercises right, that you can kind of meditate on and think about as you go through this time period. So just some questions. Where in my life do I experience envy? Whom am I, whom am I envious of? Why do I covet what they have? And the flip side of that is spend some time thinking about, do I appreciate what I have? Have I made a kind of list thinking about all the blessings I have in my life? And what would happen if I didn't have certain things in my life? What would I feel then? What do I do in my life that actually increases the cycle of covetousness and disappointment? Do I spend too much time looking at other people's lives, the images of other people's lives? Those are, those are kind of the kind of things that you maybe want to think about in order to kind of best make use of this time period. And I do want everyone to think really carefully about this question of the image. Is the stuff that we are so envious of real? There is a book by, I think his name is Timothy Wu, and... It's a book called The Attention Merchants that came out in 2016. And in it, Wu talks about the fact that for a lot of human history, the only people that their image reproduced were like really powerful, famous people. Like most common people would never have their image propagated. So it would be like the king would be on a coin or something like that. So what's happened with, with smartphones and Instagram is that now, everybody can put out an image for the whole world to see. It used to be you had to be like a famous movie star to do that. And now, you have a platform where anybody can see it. So, the self in contemporary life is wedded to the magic of technology. And although I've talked about the fact that in some ways, the self is now serving the corporate mind, Wu's point is that what the self ends up serving is just the individual ego. Like the self becomes its own object of worship because all of your energy is devoted into perpetuating an image of yourself that can make other people envious, ironically, at the same time as you're envious of 
of them. So that that's the cycle that we're in. And so what Shebo teaches through don't covet is think very carefully about that trap, that cycle that we're in. Do a kind of emotional psychic checklist with yourself and make a kind of commitment to change those kinds of behaviors. And hopefully that can lead to feelings of liberation and joy and more contentment. Have a great Shabbat. Thanks for listening to the Living Jewishly podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps more people like you find our show so that we can continue to grow the Living Jewishly community together. You can find us at livingjewishly.org and on YouTube and Instagram. Living Jewishly is living well with everyone.